This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey, movie lovers, welcome back to another Anatomy of Movie here on Popcorn Talk Network. Today, we return for a sequel, the first ever for Antoine Fuqua, as well as Denzel Washington. Stay tuned. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Anatomy of a Movie. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Today we dissect Equalizer 2. I have Dimitri Panos here alongside hey, me. Hey, movie fans. Hey, Phil. Hey, I have a question. When we, when we just did that first take, was that live? <laughs> Let's not worry about that. <laughs> oh, come on. That was funny. It was, but the fans on On Demand are like, what the hell's going on? Nothing's going on except for the fact that we're dissecting movies. I'm Phil Svitek. It's Equalizer 2. And for those of you unfamiliar with the show... First off, spoiler warning, we're going to talk about the movie as if you've seen it. So if you haven't, be forewarned. If you don't care, which I know some of you guys don't, then hey, stick around. Also, if you want to follow along, we do have our rundown in the description. It's a little PDF that you guys get to download and follow along with us. And thirdly, we are not necessarily a review show. We talk about it from the perspective where we do discuss storylines, so you're not lost there. Uh, we, we do do that. However, we also talk about the production, the how and the why, and then certainly go into box office and the how and the why of that as well. Which I, uh, first off, congrats to Equalizer 2 for being number one in the box office. It was. I, I mean, it, it pulled off a sleep. It, well, it was the, uh, what do you call it in horse racing? You pulled off a... Uh, an upset. A, an upset. Uh, mm-hmm. Nobody thought that the movie was going to do as well and be number one. Yes, indeed. Before we get to any of that, though, we now, must start with overall thoughts. So, Dimitri, what did you think of this movie? Well, I was a fan of the first movie. Uh, first, I was a fan of the show. I, I, it's a fun show. And um, bringing it uh, to the the big screen, having Denzel play that character, McCall, it was a really great idea. Uh, And working together with Antoine Fuqua, it's amazing that neither one of them, but particularly Denzel Washington, who's been in, his career is just insane. Now, this is his first sequel ever. So, you know, with Antoine Fuqua and the times that he's worked with Denzel, you can sort of understand why there might not have been a sequel, because, uh, well, well, Denzel usually just makes it to the end and he usually dies. So no sequel for those movies like Training Day. But uh, going into the Equalizer 2, I, I, I enjoyed this movie. Uh, and, and in parts, even a little bit more than the first one, I felt that this one had, now that the story was was given to us, the, the origin story, so to speak... Uh, this one had a little more emotional heft to it, which I really appreciated. And the action, I think, uh, where many said that it was extremely violent, it is. Uh, I didn't find it any more violent than Sicario 2. And in fact, I thought it was even less violent than the first Equalizer movie. Um, but the action scenes were really uh, well done. And I think it's important to note here that part of what sells the action is Denzel. Like, there wasn't a moment when I'm watching this movie, when I'm seeing him do these fights and such, that I didn't believe it was him. You know, I mean, and at his age, 
Uh, I think that's tremendous. And the believability factor is important to carry an action movie, and you can tell that he was doing a lot of his own fight scenes. I thought that he sells that a lot, and I, there wasn't a time where I did not believe he couldn't handle the situation that he was in, that Denzel Washington couldn't do that, so kudos to him. Uh, my only critique of this is that I didn't quite get what was going on with this other faction. Like, the incident that starts the story, the main what's to be the main story, because we have like an A plot and a B plot here, but mm-hmm. the main story with this couple... Uh, uh, who get killed and it's set up like a suicide. They're involved in something, but I never quite understood what this something was and why and what's going on. And when the reveal comes, I was like, okay, but I still didn't know what was going on, really. And I just knew that Denzel was going to you know, he started war with mm-hmm. these folks. Uh, it wasn't really a twist when it was revealed who the bad guy was, is. Yeah. But uh, that didn't matter for the most part because Denzel was doing what Denzel can do. And I thought he carried the movie. I thought Fuqua's direction is really was really spot on for this action movie. Doesn't rely on a lot of shaky cam and things like that. We were really brought into the action very well. Almost already. So, uh, on the whole, I had a good time watching Equalizer 2 for a sequel. Fair enough. Yeah. So, this was my first Equalizer. I did not see the first. Uh, and, you know, overall, with its slow pace initially, I, 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 it took me a while to kind of understand everything. Like, I was trying to read more into things that than they were. Mm-hmm. It was kind of, it was what it was, and I thought for some reason there was a deeper meaning. Um, and then once I understood, oh, it is what it is, then I got into it, and it was a lot of fun. I have to say the B-plot for me was, when you talk about an emotional heft, that was the more interesting part of everything. Which 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 plot? The, the one with the old man or the, or the, the, well, the college kid? Well, you can take both as the B-plot, because basically the B-plot is him as a Lyft driver in sure. Boston and just, just doing his thing. Yeah. Um, which I thought that to me was more interesting because Denzel is just so great at, at, at just being a human. I don't know how, to, how he, else to describe it. He is. He has this presence. And it particularly when he's with kids, right? This happened with Man on Fire, his relationship with Dakota Fanning and that movie, mm-hmm. Young Dakota Fanning. But you're right. There is this humanistic quality that Denzel exudes that you just buy into and you sort of kind of you melt with it when he bonds with that kid or even the old man and yet he still has enough screen presence and charisma that when he gets down and dirty and violent you buy that too that's a special trait for an actor to be able to carry off well it's kind of why why it works for me is that whenever he's protecting anyone or that his violence comes from the fact that someone's being wronged mm-hmm. and so the fact that we've seen him to such depth as, as of humanity you know it makes sense why he cares so deeply and so that's what i appreciated and uh, you know the only thing like the the pacing was a little bit off because we don't really get into the a the main plot until like 50 minutes into the mm-hmm. movie i mean we get little bits here and there but none of it you're like, okay, what's going on? None of it really makes sense until, oh, okay. And as you said, like you were confused, and I think part of it is because 
we spend so little time on that. It, it becomes secondary, even though it's primary. Yeah, and let us not forget how the movie almost bookends, right? Because we start off on this train, like you know, in Turkey, right? In Turkey, right? And it's an extraction of of this girl, and that has a nice that gets tied up very nicely. But to your point, there's this really nice scene because he goes to this bookstore a lot. This this collectible bookstore, and there's this really nice rapport with this little girl where he's like, Shh, and the girl because he saved the girl, but it's a secret to the mom. And I, again, you just buy into it. And this is what the first movie didn't have a lot of uh, that I respected and appreciated more in the sequel. And again, it's because Denzel's able to pull that off yeah. really well. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, <clears throat> like I gotta say, like, for me, Denzel and um, and Miles, who was also in um, Moonlight, uh, Ashton Sanders is his actual name. Mm-hmm. The two, re- the, those two, really stole the show for me. Yeah, I think that's what worked. And I, you know, uh, what I did appreciate in terms of the plotting was the fact that the A and the B storyline did come together in the third act, where they kidnap Miles, and it's like, okay, now, now you've double messed up, right? Yeah, but I also liked his relationship. Well, again, it got a little bit deeper with uh, Melissa Leo's character, Susan Plummer. You know, there was this very I found it to be a very touching scene where, um, you know, you'll learn that McCall had lost his wife and he's still going through the emotional scars of that and how Melissa Leo as a friend comes by. I thought their relationship uh, actually became fuller in this movie, along with the relationship with um, Susan Plummer's husband, who was played uh, by Bill Pullman. Mm-hmm. Um, it's always good for me, too, to see Bill Pullman on screen uh, yeah, and so those humanistic moments you're right I think help carry this and it makes the violence a little more palpable because you know from where you know where this guy's coming from and why he's got to do the things he has to do now even when we talk about violence I thought the first Equalizer movie was far more violent than this one well here's a trivia fact Denzel only shoots a gun once uh huh which I know there's more gunfire than that. Yeah. Certainly the quote-unquote suicide. Mm-hmm. And that was pretty brutal mm-hmm. in and of itself. But nonetheless, he, he only shoots the gun once and he harpoons another guy. So I guess you can call that a gunshot <laughs> just with a bigger gun. But his, yeah, yeah you mentioned uh, his action style is, is very much hand-to-hand combat. Yes. And he excels at it quite, quite well. I, I mean, if I had to pick... Let's say his favorite action scene. I really loved him going back because of the girl, to the whoever they were, the the, the almost like college frat guys, even though they necessarily weren't. Right. Yeah, and he just he just writes that wrong. Levels them, levels them. And the scene in the in the train too, mm-hmm. uh, I found to be really good. You know, and it's it's great because uh, Antoine Fuqua uh, worked uh, and and Denzel. They worked. Uh, There's a stunt coordinator, Jeff Dashnaw. And he built those action sequences, the the, the close-up hand-to-hand, um, around, catch this, Denzel's uh, talents. And M- because McCall's speed is so very fast, uh, the stunt coordinator, Jeff, says, um, we have to shoot in a lot of cuts. And if he does it all at once, he goes, 
He'll do it so well, we'll never see what he does. And I think sometimes directors, when they're filming a scene like that, they do forget about that. How many times have we talked about action movies where we go, what the hell's happening here? Just keep the, like, I want to know. And um, we don't get that in, like, say, the John Wick movies, too, because uh, Keanu is so well-trained. But when we're talking about Denzel... Uh, Denshaw says he's actually really fast with his hands. He picks up the action and choreography really quickly, and he attributes this because I didn't know he uh, Denzel has been boxing mm-hmm. for most of his life, and so they add some of that there, and that gives him a lot of the disciplines for that hand-to-hand combat. So the choreographer Mick Gold has very you know has some very special skills that he's been working with and working onto the film so it makes it look a little it's definitely not John Wick right because like you said he only shoots a gun once Um, but I think that the fight scenes are are intense they can be intense and brutal and you know that the bad guy's gonna get a big whoop ass on them yeah it's more cerebral yeah yeah, I mean John Wick has elements of that too but but this in particular, you know, and in fact, there's direct shots, whether they kind of zoom in on his eye and you, you see from his peripheral of what's happening. So there's a calculation there happening that we get to witness, and, and I very much appreciate. It's funny you mentioned that, too, because Fuqua calls that specifically equalizer vision. He goes, whereas heart slows down, his pupils dilate, uh, more light comes in and his vision gets sharper and he's more aware of the room and his surroundings. And he's like, violence is a comfort zone for McCall. Uh, so it's, it's funny you bring that up because I was just on a page talking about equalizer vision. Well, you know, too, it, it's... It's their element as well. Like um, Denzel, in his own right, has done very gritty movies, oh, yeah. um, and certainly some of them he's done with Fuqua. You know, Training Day in particular, obviously Equalizer, the first one, but Magnificent Seven. Yeah, I mean they, they, they live in that realm, so to speak. And um, you know, I, I don't think he's duplicating a performance of any other kind apart from yeah. Robert McCall, let's say, but. But he's able to draw into that spirit that he's been like. Even I, I go back to like he got game with Spike Lee. Like that's a very dark character, mm-hmm. and that's a father. Yeah. <laughs> well, even Man on Fire, you know, is a gritty, dark, uh, dark movie too. But Denzel's able to carry it off because he utilizes all of his experience as an actor. You know. This is a man that's been in comedies. He's been in heavy dramas. And he's able to bring all of this, whether it's timing and his drama chops, and now working with these action movies, whether it's a Magnificent Seven or an Equalizer. But I think all of his experience comes through. And he, and he uses them all. He uses them all. He doesn't, he doesn't change um, just because this is an action movie. He still is able to carry off dramatic scenes which make him more humanistic which i think draws an audience in more yeah. well e- even uh point. speaking of using all the elements like the the scene i mentioned prior at the hotel room with the yeah. again i'll just call them the college frat guys even though <laughs> they aren't that's a very comedic scene he's like rate me five stars on lift you better rate me five stars and just just the way that kept being a running gag in that scene and then the button at the end where he receives the five star rating yeah. it's it, it, it's a good little bit of comedy in an otherwise very dark movie. Sure. Yeah. So it, it has all those elements. I like the scene, too. Uh, 
again, just going back to the train sequence, he dispatches of everybody in the train. And again, this is a brutal fight scene. Uh, you know, I can name, I, I think we talked about this a little bit uh, when we were talking skyscraper and brutal fight scenes. And I, I always refer back to James Bond. There were two big fight scenes in a train that are really hand-to-hand, very brutal. And that scene in the train, when he dispatches everyone, except for the one guy, and he, he says something to the effect of, uh, pain can be two things. You can realize from it, or you can hurt from it. Which one do you want? <laughs> you know, I mean, he's going to do something. <laughs> so um, that it was such a great line, and then we don't see the uh, we don't see what if the guy picked and what happened to him. <laughs> you know, so it's well, you don't need to. Yeah, yep. I mean, a lot of. Some of the action really works on just the imagination. I mean, we, we get the kill with the wife to set up the A plot, um, and that's brutal to watch. But then we, 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 we stand until the last moment of the gunshot of her husband, and then we just get the blood, which mm-hmm. that's all you really need at that yeah. point. You don't. <laughs> I, th- I think it would have been less impactful had they actually shown it at that point. Yeah, and I have a feeling there could have been a couple of edits. Mm-hmm. To your points, which you said earlier, it was brutal. Um, so, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if there were a couple of frames here, a couple of frames there. Mm-hmm. Taken out to get these R-rated. <laughs> so um, so let's, let's dive into the A-plot, shall we? Sure, um, sure. So, in essence, the, the people that he worked with now were sort of fired. And in essence, uh, they're just doing their own thing, right? They're hired, hired guns, basically. Now, the interesting part is that they're, what the movie didn't quite explore is that they're really no different than Robert McCall, except he has a different code than they do. Yeah, they were all, uh, if, if I was paying attention, uh, they were all in the military together. Uh, don't know if they were Navy SEALs or secret ops kind of thing, but you get that they were pretty tough hombres, right? And they did their job, and then they were then they had no job, <clears throat> and uh, something had happened, and it left Robert McCall to be perceived as dead. He was out, uh, and by doing so, it changed the dynamic of this of this unit, uh, leaving them sort of kind of in the wind, trying to do things, and they were bitter about that. Um, so, yeah, I, I just found yeah they were mercenaries for lack of better words or they were assassins or they well as they, they described it ties your, up loose ends your name on a piece of paper yeah so i gotta kill you that's the paper i was given i don't know who you are what you do i just gotta kill you because the paper says so mm-hmm. um so in that sense yeah very much different you know and, and they do try to bring it up of like you do the same thing like we received pieces of paper and we didn't really question it. Um, so I thought that was something, again, that could have been a little bit more explored. I felt that it could have. Um, a lot more, actually. Um, just so we had a better sense, because those other plots we were talking about, those were the type of plots that you would have found in the television show. I mean, it was an episodic series, lasted for a while, hour long. And, you know, getting back a kidnapped daughter helping an old man retrieve a print for his memories, for his own sanity, helping a college boy 
stay on the right path. These are, when you break it down, you think about it, they're somewhat episodic in nature, right? This other plot is a little bit bigger. That's the movie quote-unquote plot, and I wish they took a little more time, to your point, to flesh it out a little more. I would have liked that, um, to figure out why. Like, what the hell is going on here? Because McCall chose to be dead for a reason. And now his life is helping other people. So these other people, they went astray and they felt they weren't getting paid enough. It always comes down to money. <laughs> well, they, they also said, you know, one of the things that was brought up was the, all they were sent was to the VA and that was of no help. Mm-hmm. So there's a very, much like Foucault's movies, there's a political undertone, but it's, it's really hidden deep and it doesn't make it to the surface. Yeah too much apart from just kind of glossing over it and they were your bad guys yeah you know that that was it i wish i i agree with you i wish that was flushed out more but you know i, I think we've talked about this a number of times the strongest villains are the ones that you really understand you know i'm not gonna spoil avengers but like thanos you get his plight uh mm-hmm. you could look at unforgiven and you know william money and little bill dag like you get it sure and what's interesting and especially for a movie like this you want to make the line a little bit blurred and the more blurred you make it of like wait who is the bad guy right that's what makes it so much fun, and then uh-huh. you know the the last act really becomes the divide, and it's like, and you tell the truth of okay, what is their difference, and why is this guy the protagonist, and this guy has to be killed because sure. you know of that one small difference. Mm-hmm. Agreed. And um, yeah, I just it just wasn't as explored, unfortunately. Um, but there was that little comedic moment. Like, speak, it actually has more comedy than we give it credit uh, when, when they're in the standoff. And they're uh, like, in the neighborhood. In the neighborhood. Yes. And then he just says, hey, uh, your husband told me you're going to give me a ride to the airport. <laughs> okay. Oh, okay. We'll see you guys later. Yeah. That was just a great way to get out of and, situation. And, and, you know, not... So we're in this situation, and Denzel's like, no, you're, you're not going at war with me. I'm going to war with you. So come on. We'll see how this pans out. And it was all done, like, they're all smells because they're in the middle of a suburban neighborhood. And when he says, yeah, you give me a ride to the airport, they're like, oh. like okay, that, that'll be great. I'd love to get to know you more. It's like, all right, guys, I'll see you soon. Yeah, that, that was the, it, I thought that was, was just a fun scene. It was a good scene. It was the exposition scene. But, yeah, I thought it was a really bad things you saw were potentially going to happen. Yeah. There. And I liked because if I if memory serves because I saw the the movie well over a week ago I've seen a lot since he then goes to uh, rescue Bill Pullman right mm-hmm. does he yes. go there he doesn't go back to Boston he goes back to Virginia I believe yeah he goes there first yeah. to, to pull him out uh, save his life because yeah. he's technically a loose end yeah and then he goes back to Boston unfortunately he shows just a little bit late yeah and it's the kid kid had to just leave the hiding hole mm-hmm. you know if he just only stayed a little bit longer yeah. uh, i always love it when movies film in boston too uh and they really got a good cross section of boston uh I, I got you know you see everything is so familiar if you're from the city and you spend as much time in the city as, as i did and but it's great i always like it when they show you different parts of the city 
Mm-hmm. Um, and this movie utilized, I felt the movie utilized Boston really well. Yeah, primarily um, the south end, they, they mm-hmm. used as a locale. Yeah, yeah, I liked it. So, for those familiar, south end yeah. is different than south feet, by the yes, way. Yes, absolutely. So, <laughs> just a note. Uh, and and I, I did like that neighborhood aspect, you know, it as a movie, right, like, I feel like Denzel stands for something more than just himself, right? And he carries that, and we've talked a little bit about that. But when you look at this movie and and the idea of living in an urban environment and how you should respect it, and you know, he helps the lady with the garden, as you said, like these these mini morals, if you will. Yeah, I, I appreciate that and how he's able to turn turn Miles. Um, into, and by the way, one of the more intense scenes was when he busts out a gun on Miles after getting him out, and he's like, yeah, you want to go? Yeah. You want to be a tough guy? Shoot me. Yep. Um, you know, I didn't know how that was going to play out. It was a good scene. Um, and even... And again, it could have been a scene that was a hell of a lot... That could have gone south. could have been a lot more violent. Um, but him busting him out, I thought they were all going to come out and chase him, and I thought it was going to turn into an action set piece never really happened that way no um not that i would have minded some bad drug dealing thugs to get their comeuppance from mccall and denzel beating them but that scene it it was a really good scene it it worked for me and again it was that emotional heft that the first one had some of but not as much here the relationships the human relationships that mccall had and you really got that he wanted to help and save people if he could if they would listen well speaking of emotional heft the the action set piece the climax of the movie is in his former house that's where he you know let's say grew up um whatever the case right well Uh, it's where he it's 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 where he spent a good part of his life with his wife yeah and i I thought as an action set piece, it was utilized very well. But yeah. it, as far as the emotional heft of him returning mm-hmm. and him returning to then use it as a final standoff against this, right. um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you just have to take it in and, and just understand that. But I, I, I've, just the movie itself didn't fully bring that to light. Yeah. I mean, I think thematically it was. Uh, well, I even think that... Uh, um, who was it? I think that it was um, Pedro Pascal's David York had, had had said, he's going home. I know where he's going. He's going home. Um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was interesting. He hadn't been home in years, and it was still his home in this quiet seaside community that could have been Newburyport or could have been Cape Cod. It looked like any one of those uh, Nahant, actually, it sort of looked like Nahant too. Um, you know, I just felt that it was him going home back to this, back to this seaside community that he hadn't been to in years, and I felt to an extent it captured that that fear of going back, um, the emotional scars that it could bring up going back. The difficulty of it all, the emo- that emotional heft. Um, I did find it far more, um, uh, far more reaching with his conversation with Melissa Leo mm-hmm. than say going back. But at least the comfort being able to sit down 
and watch the ocean from where he is and having those memories uh it's somewhat it's somewhat to an extent resonated uh with me and i i see what you're you're saying um maybe it could have been flushed out a little bit more but i got what they were saying and if things were going to go back home you know maybe he was one step closer to being almost healed yeah well the reason to me like he almost went there was less about the fact that it was home more so that he knew the terrain and he knew that it was going to be evacuated so it's basically this large playground and furthermore he has the weather Mm -hmm. granted it's against him too but i feel like he's calculating and therefore can turn that into an advantage for himself rather than disadvantage like for those other other people so and and just for for setting purposes uh the 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 they set this hurricane in of all places marshfield in the marshfield neighborhood of brant iraq which is located on the south shore of Massachusetts. It's about an hour drive from downtown Boston uh, and taking place during daylight hours. It took almost a month to film the hurricane sequences there. Which makes sense because they they utilized a lot they utilize a lot of ground where in the first movie the climax comes in uh, a Home Depot type of a store. So that just lent itself to all of the items that McCall can weaponize. And that's why I say it sort of kind of did turn into a Friday the 13th-ish kind of uh, climax of violence where this one, there's a lot of ground to cover going into convenience stores, going onto rooftops over here, going to a lighthouse uh, thing. It just it, it opened it up more in scope. Uh, and I loved the waves crashing in, flooding the town. And that's just one more element that our that our characters had to contend with. Absolutely, and the the fact that rather than you know all those places you mentioned, we get a scope of the the landscape for everyone. When when they're searching for him, you see how they're searching. They're not just uh, zoomed in on a particular thing. Like they they're they're really seeing the scope of everything. Be like, where is he? Right. And the fact that in in the backdrop of all of this is the hurricane, and they were able to make it all work visually yeah. rather than that. I thought that that was the most impressive yeah. action set piece I've seen in a while. Yeah, and 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 um, you know the actors were actually yelling. Um, <laughs> Fuka even is known to be said. Uh, he says you can't hear the dialogue over the fans, but the actors have to give a performance. So um, I found that uh, I found that uh, interesting. Uh, they tried to do uh, they captured as much of that sequence with practical effects and the and ca- in, in doing everything in camera. Uh, you don't know if a visual effect will be able to capture all of the little nuances you want to capture. And if you look closely, every shutter in town is banging and moving. And he goes, and I didn't want to have to rely on visual effects for that. You know, so you know there are times, I guess, with the water or whatnot. But uh, I really, again, it brought it. I haven't quite seen. I know that there's this movie called The Hurricane Job that came up within the past year, but I haven't seen necessarily like a shootout. Like uh, when you think about it, this is a western kind of a shootout. Yeah. Where the bad guys are coming into town, looking for the good guy, and he's got to dispatch each one of them, and we're just going to throw in a hurricane. Like well, I mean, category it's the, five. 
you know, in a, in a Western, it'd be more like a sandstorm. So sure, it's it's on par <clears throat> thematically. <clears throat> so, so it's it's all it's all there, um, and it works so well. Yeah, and they actually used uh, uh, Hurricane Sandy, um, which actually took place in Burnt Rock, but they they took footage from Hurricane Sandy as their inspiration to try to get the aspects right. So. Waves and winds were a key, says uh, special effects coordinator Jeremy Hayes. Uh, so they, they, they watched a ton of YouTube videos. Yeah. Uh, what the internet can do today. Yeah. It's a, it must be an ominous feeling to have to watch all that footage. Yeah. Knowing what, obviously, that hurricane actually en- mm-hmm. ended up doing. Um, so always, always quite interesting. So I mean, and if you're if you're curious too, because I found this interesting. So Antoine wanted to create like wave after wave after wave. Would you get that if you've watched the movie, right? And so they came up with this system that would allow them to continually fill individual cones that were used to fire the cannons of water. So they had 1600 CFM air compressors that provided air to the pressure tanks. They had a total of 24 individual cannons that we pieced together so we can aim them in different directions depending on where the camera was placed. That's a lot of water. That Coming is. at a high-intense speed. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and yet, the, the, for the most part, they shot everything, as you mentioned, very practically. A lot of it yeah. did take place in Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Um, they did go to Istanbul, Turkey, to shoot some stuff. Um, so you do get that sense of of really being where they're supposed to be, right? Which I appreciated. Whether it's e- even Belgium, <laughs> it's yeah. But but I think what's part of it too is when you focus. Take 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 the the seaside town, right? If you're a good director, you're focusing in on the action and the fighting, the escaping, right? So we're really not. That's what we're focused in on. So it's sort of kind of like a smoke and mirrors. If we're focused on that, and they're not showing as much of anything else, we can't discern what is a special effect and not a special effect. Because it's and that's you know part of Fuqua's uh, uh, talent as a director to do that. So absolutely, and you know uh, Oliver Wood. He's the cinematographer for this. Uh, very talented guy. He's done. He was part of the Born Ultimatum, so he's you know he knows a thing or two at that point as, as far as action movies are concerned. Um, they used Ari Alexa cameras for this, so they went digital. So that that kind of makes it easier to play back and see mm-hmm. all this this various stuff. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, I, what's nice? I really think they use the color palette of each setting quite well. Yeah. You know, um, bright when it needed to be bright, dark when it needed to be dark. Um, I, I really appreciated it overall yeah. mm-hmm. as Same far as here. what they were able to capture. Same here. Yeah, I like the way the look of this movie uh, was, was pretty decent. Uh, and it looks fantastic up on the big screen. Uh, and you really get the, again, because of the way that it was filmed, you, you actually get to see the action take place in front of your eyes. It's not really blurred out. It's not shaky cam. Uh, in a sense, it was there were parts of it was almost artful, like an mm-hmm. art house, you know, a movie that that Antoine Fuqua was trying to do or put out. A scene in particular, like that, utilized good camera movement. 
because it all had to be told visually at that point right. was when uh, let's say our, our bad guys or two bad guys come in to get Miles at McCall's apartment right and the way they used the double mirror and so forth and just just the way they shot it and the intensity of it where he's right there and the only thing that's separating him is glass mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, that that was done so effectively both through the editing both through the cinematography to and obviously the acting to achieve that yeah and you got the sense of claustrophobia i mean he's he's not living uh, he's, he doesn't live an opulent lifestyle, right? He's very sparse in his apartment. In fact, it was this great scene. I want to go back because uh, so when when um, the kid first comes over to his place, you know, he, he tells him. He goes. He tells Miles. He goes, "Hey, this is my apartment. Don't touch that. This is my home." Like, yeah, because they're making the pasta. Can, yeah. <laughs> This ain't your mom's pasta. This ain't your mom's pasta. Uh, uh, put that down. This isn't your home. Uh, it was his place. He knew it really well. And when that scene comes in and he's telling him on the phone, like, what to do. Um, yeah, it was. that was intense. That was intense, that little escape room uh, that he had. Uh, I just felt he did get out a little bit too soon. Just stay there. Stay there until McCall comes home. Yeah. Or just give it 10, 20 minutes. Damn, kid. Yeah. <laughs> ay, ay, ay. Um, as far as the ending, um, I don't know what, what your thoughts on it were, but I thought I thought overall the pacing worked well. It just, it's interesting how the A plot really didn't come into fruition until, like I said, 50th minute, which generally should happen by the 30th minute and you have to be very you have to know exactly what you're doing to be able to pull that off and i felt maybe they didn't do as quite as good as they could have yeah i mean i don't disagree it's it's sort of a long movie too um clocks in the close to two hours and like i'm glad that the a b and c plots were there because they delivered the humanity of it all but to your point, like, yeah, I was wondering when this movie was going to get going. Unfortunately, again, due to the trailer and watching the trailer, you know that Melissa Leo character's character or her character gets killed. And I'm watching the movie going, when's this going to happen? Like, when are we even going to see her? <laughs> it's like, oh, so we see her. And even after we first see her, it takes us a little more time to get to that plot. So, uh, I don't disagree. I think it's a valid point. It was just... And I don't want to say that the pacing was awkward. It was almost as if they had a lot of stories to deal with. And I don't exactly know. I guess you just had to set up your other ones because they were going to be tied up. I don't want to say simply, but... You had to meet all these other people first before we're going to the main crux, which is going to drive the rest of the story. Well, I, guess. I, I know the things were happening simultaneously, but I almost feel like just do that stuff first because it's interesting enough mm-hmm. and then get into that storyline and really start to ramp up because we were trying to do too many things simultaneously, I felt. Yeah. And then they both lost weight because it's like okay this gotta focus on this oh but forget about that for now 
here's a little clue as to what's happening here. Okay, now keep that in the back of your mind. Now back to the, to the emotional stuff. So, it, I mean, it, it's not that it's a complex movie, but emotionally you still have to track these certain things. Agree. And compartmentalize them, which, you know, for a movie like this, sometimes it's like, I didn't come here for that necessarily. Yeah, and, and, and it's interesting because the editor here, uh, Conrad Buff, um, he he you know he's worked on movies like shooter he's worked on terminator movies he's worked with james cameron um he's done movies like american assassin uh the equalizer too so he knows his way around these type of action thriller drama genres i just think from a writing standpoint uh he even actually he worked on training day which again has many characters going on but I think they wanted to. I don't know. It just seemed there, there was there was a lot of stories taking place that they wanted the audience to get involved with. I, I just don't know how you recut it. But I, it just goes back to what we were saying earlier. There could have been a little bit more about this team and the the, the whys of it all, yeah. so to speak. I mean, it's it's tough. Because we don't know honestly what got left on the cutting room floor and things like that. So, and e- even just in the script process, what in and of itself got changed. Sure. Um, which, by the way, you know, I, I know we opened up the show with it, but but it is something to note the fact that this is like out of all things that Denzel has done and could have done, that this is the the sequel that you know he said yes to. Mm-hmm. And Antoine very deliberately said like, hey, if there's a good script and if Denzel wants to do it. Then we'll make a sequel. Denzel has said, too, he said this publicly, that he really doesn't consider this a sequel. Even though it is called Equalizer 2, um, he considers it a movie. Like, it's a stand... Like, he doesn't... He didn't look at it, approach, approaching it, he didn't look at it as a sequel, other than it's just a movie. So... Well, and I could say from that standpoint, it does work as a standalone. Mm-hmm. You... You get that he lost his wife, he had this job, now he doesn't, and this is what he's doing. Oh, and the past essentially comes back to haunt him, yeah, so to speak. And if you haven't seen Equalizer, if you haven't seen the first one, and you go back and you'll see Melissa Leo's character and Bill Pullman's character. Um, this movie, I really, and again, to his point of it being a movie, I think that's why Melissa Leo, well, she played a bigger part, but it wasn't just we're gonna. They didn't rely on an audience having memory of the first movie. It was, in a sense, as if they were coming on screen and were seeing them for the first time. Mm -hmm. And if you had seen the first movie, great. But if you hadn't, we're going to give you a little bit more information about these characters so that you can become involved and you'll know that there's a relationship here so that when this character dies, you understand the reasoning. So it's not like they just brought Melissa Leo in to have her death scene because people are going to remember her from the first movie. Uh, That could be a part of the pacing as well, you Mm -hmm. know, shooting it that way so that you, for example, you didn't see the first one, you don't need the memory of that character for the first one. You you understand, so when she does die, you understand the motivations of McCall. Yeah. So. I, I, don't, I don't disagree with that at all. I think I thought it worked out. Yeah. As far as that, that worked really well. Sure. Um, their relationship was, was very strong. Yeah. 
Um, 100%. Uh, I had a train of thought, and then I lost that train. I'm sorry. No, no, it's I, fine. Yeah. Um, let's see. Well, um, do, do, do. I'm going to stall. It's okay. Where do we want to go? Do, 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 do we want to talk about numbers? And well, we let's talk, talk music about... a little bit. Sure, sure. It, uh, the the composer of the original returns for this one, Harry Gregson Williams. Mm-hmm. Um, now he's a, he's an interesting fellow. He's done uh, you know various movies like Ridley Scott's Prometheus, for example. But then he's also done a lot of video games. So um, he's got an interesting kind of combination of what he's what he's done. Um, and I appreciate that he's kind of come back because I didn't see the first one. I can't compare the two soundtracks. I don't know maybe you can. Very similar. Um, you know, I think as, as we're talking composers, uh, if memory serves, uh, and I think I think I'm pretty right that the television series, The Equalizer, the music was composed by uh, Stuart Copeland, drummer for The Police. Uh, I was surprised that why wouldn't you bring him back? do the movie because he has a lot of cinematic he has a lot of movies under his belt too uh i found that the 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 music in this was it's as we described last week when we talked about skyscraper for the movie was fine it never overshadowed it never overpowered a scene it never became bigger than the scene that we were seeing but it added to the action to the suspense i thought it was pretty decent and it had the hints of that equalizer theme absolutely throughout I remember what I was going to say. There's, there's statistics online oh. that that if you put Denzel, give him a gun and a purpose, people will go see the movie. Really? And as far as promotion, like you know, you look at the trailers and so forth. Like that's that's what the first Equalizer promised, and certainly this promised more of the same. Uh-huh. Training Day, Man on Fire. Yeah, like they, they, people just love Denzel in that type of role. They do. Yeah, I think people though. I mean, he he can get away. Uh, look, fences not going to do as much as this, but there is something about him. He has a star quality to him for sure, and it's something that is rare in movie stars today. And I, Denzel, I read earlier today, he doesn't like to be called a movie star. He's an actor. I respect him. I'll give him that. But his star quality is the moment he steps up on screen, he has a presence. Whether he's playing a dirty cop, a cowboy, an anti-hero here, uh, have a heart, (laughs) he's playing a comedy. He, just as soon as he comes on screen, you're gravitated to him. Uh, his humanity works. I mean, there is a reason why in the movie Game Night <laughs> they chose Denzel Washington. He is able to bring people like him on all quadrants, whether you're male, female, doesn't matter the race, he brings them in. People like to watch him on screen. Yeah. And he's had a his career, his longevity is just insane. And you, you brought up Fences. I know it's not like this box office <clears throat> juggernaut, but it's a movie that he also did direct. Sure. Um, so I, I, it's interesting. I would like to see him direct more. Me too. Uh, you know, and, and but I think he's learned along a lot along the way. And, you know, working with Antoine, I think they have a good collaboration going. And I think he's able to learn a lot just from him. And conversely, like 
you know, if Denzel wants something, it's like, hey, here's a good idea. Rather than, you know, we've talked about it before, <laughs> the, the infamous Cruise one. Like, hey, you will be an actor. Right. <laughs> I am the director. I'm it's the like, director. no, it's... It, like, a good, you know, it feels like these these guys like a good idea is a good idea. Yeah, you got your role, I got my role, but let's collaborate. Let's, I just want to let's talk since we're talking Denzel right now, right? Let's. I'm gonna go back a bit. I want to talk. I, mean, I do want to like. I have you have to talk about this guy's career. Crimson Tide. He goes up against Gene Hackman. I don't know the last time you saw Crimson Tide, but it's a fan, it's a great movie. Really good movie, not necessarily carrying a gun. He's in the movie Pelican Brief. Uh, Philadelphia, yeah. right? Uh, Malcolm X, of course. Uh, he was in the movie Ricochet, Mo Better Blues. He's done a couple of movies with Spike Lee. Uh, this movie called, oh, I called it Have a Heart, Forgive Me. It's called Heart Condition, in which it's a comedy. It's paired with George Siegel. Uh, I'll tell you, one of his, it's one of his first movies. It's called The Mighty Quinn. Uh, I, I highly recommend. But when you look at this guy's career, Devil in a Blue Dress, who he plays, it's t- fantastic. Courage and the Fire, The Preacher's Wife, I know a lot Antoine of people Fisher. like him. Antoine Fisher, Fallen, uh, which was more or less like a supernatural-ish sort of kind of a horror movie. Uh, the Siege, The Bone Collector. Uh, Remember the Titans he can play, uh, a, a football coach. Great movie. You know, John Q, not one of my favorite movies. Out of Time is actually a really decent suspense thriller. Man on Fire, we talked about. The Manchurian Candidate. Look at all these movies. Yes, some of them are action. But when you look at the different characters that he's playing, or like he's not pigeonholed into playing your archetypical action hero star. Uh, even movies like Deja Vu. Or he'll play a bad guy, an American gangster. Um, and just even the know. simple way he shot, like you, you could look at—I don't know. Let's say Robert De Niro as Iron Man, or or even like Eastwood Robert as Robert Downey like, Jr. Yeah, you mean? Or, yeah. Oh, you said De Niro. Oh. <laughs> what? You know what? I, I was mean. like, he was a, he was Iron Man. <laughs> yeah, you know, back in the day, <laughs> he ate a lot of iron. He, he was a man. <laughs> so yes, Robert Downey Jr. Like just just the way they shoot Denzel is not your typical. This sort of superhero action star, mm-hmm. you know, in that sense. Yeah, it's it's very different, and uh, I think that's obviously part of what separates him. Yeah, and and he's able to play a regular guy put into extraordinary circumstances really well too. Movies like Unstoppable. That movie's. Re- I mean, when you talk about a brisk paced movie that really works, and you put him with Chris Pine. In this, um, uh, I believe it was Tony Scott. He made a lot of movies with Tony Scott, too. Um, it was really good. And then he's in Safe House. Uh, so he plays against uh, Ryan Reynolds, a flight. Plays a far more dramatic character. Uh, and that was a Robert Zemeckis movie. I mean, this, this guy has done a lot. He's been around for a while. And... I just think that, you know, yes, some movies make more money than others, but ultimately people have really come to like him, um, no matter uh, all walks of life. Well, so let's talk about that because initially Equalizer 2 wasn't supposed to do as well as it did. No. And as we mentioned, it opened up number one. At the box office, which granted, maybe not, you know, you look at something like Mamma Mia, here we go again, 
not necessarily the biggest competition, although that you know, relative. Big you are movie definitely splitting an audience. You're you're, you're going for spe- specific audiences with those movies. Yeah, and then you know you have the third one, Unfriended Dark Web. That's you know. It wasn't going to open big, but, it, you know, it's in contention there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the fact that it pulls off what it did, first off, it doubles its third uh, Thursday night previews, essentially, mm-hmm. from one, 1. 1.5 to, to 3 million, yeah. give or take. So it doubles. Most movies, generally, that we talk about, the, the sequel kind of drops a little bit. Unless you're a Marvel movie, then you do maybe better. Yeah. Um, but not your standard sequel. that. Mm-hmm. So kudos there. Well, yeah, but plus I think they just whatever the tracking figures were, I think it was underestimating the power of Denzel. The, the other weird thing about this too that I felt when we talk about marketing this movie, um, it was marketed really weirdly. Um, I felt we didn't really. I knew the movie was coming out, but but Sony for whatever the reasons didn't start in earnest until like this movie came out uh july 20th they didn't really start in earnest until like the fourth of july weekend like the first week last weekend of june first week of july that's when we really got like our first trailer that's when we started seeing stuff on this and this is a denzel antoine fuqua i almost felt as if sony didn't have faith in the project mm-hmm. enough that had they started promoting this and seeing some semblance of a trailer in May or April. Certainly there were other movies that they could have trailered on. I I, I don't know. It, it just seemed sort of odd to me uh, as a person who worked in that business to get trailers and marketing up in theaters. Like It took them a long time and they only gave themselves three and a half to four weeks to do it. Well, I, I don't know exactly when they switched the dates and so forth but it was supposed to be it was supposed to release September 14th of this year then they pushed it up to August 3rd then they set July 20th so to what degree that affected all of the, I mean it's it already seems like a cluster F yeah and I'll, I'll be honest too I think it could have benefited by opening on that August or September date I think it could have been, I think it could have helped it more. Not that it did bad, but it's like really interesting that Mamma Mia is going to get a specific audience. Denzel is going to bring in uh, an action audience for sure, but he's he too will bring in a specific audience. Uh, he'll bring in an urban audience. Uh, he'll bring in women. Women love to see Denzel uh, when he's playing a good guy. Um, so I know the audience that I saw it with on that Thursday night preview night. Man, they were like hooting and clapping, and they were so into it that I walked out going, "How, how does how does this? How, why are they thinking this movie's going to do so low? Because they were thinking it, was, it might do thirty, it might do thirty, and it comes out and it does thirty six. It edges out Mamma Mia by a by about a million. Um, it was an interesting box office race. Yeah, so for sure, and you know. On par, like they estimate a sixty-two million dollar budget, more like seventy plus I, marketing budget. I don't know when you have three and a half weeks, whatever yeah. that takes you up to. It's it's listen if you if you're going around sixty-two million, which for Denzel Antoine Fuqua, Fuqua actioner, that's low. 
Yeah, that's word, really right? and, good. and in fact, it's even lower because we were doing. I was doing the research for Mamma Mia. Mamma Mia was like seventy-five. It was yeah. more, and I'm like, what? <laughs> so, well, they had every actor it ever okay. to, to grace the earth. <laughs> so, but I'm like looking. This is an action movie. Sixty-two is pretty. That's a respectable budget. You got to figure forty. Yeah, probably a hundred, hundred and ten million all in Prince advertising. I mean, they went out. Uh, they went out to thirty-three hundred locations, almost thirty-four hundred locations. Um, you can tell that thus far they haven't fully gone. Uh, they haven't opened it up in all of their foreign territories because thus far it's only made about three million um, uh, foreign. So. Worldwide, we're at fifty million, and I think as the movie um, uh, expands in the foreign territories, Denzel also has a presence internationally. Um, you know, that's why, to me, I know he doesn't want to be called a star, but he's a star. When you can carry an international, when you can come in domestically, and everybody really likes you, like that, that 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 is a star quality. Certainly, and, and audiences, as far as that. A minus on cinema score. Yeah. Granted, on Rotten Tomatoes, it only has a 50, carrying a fifty-one percent. So, the critics not seeing eye to eye with the audience right yeah, now. Yeah, I don't under, I don't quite understand the backlash for the critics. Um, I certainly don't see it as as a fifty fifty-one percent. I mean, I think it's I think it's better than that. And and uh, you know, it's it's an enjoyable movie. Again, it seems. It's interesting that it's coming out in the thick of summer, and you know when you're looking what you're putting it up against, you're putting it up. It's going. Its second week is going up against Mission Impossible. That's that is Mission Impossible. I mean, yeah. we, literally, what are you thinking? And and personally, after seeing Mission Impossible as well, I just think that it it. I mean, the, the movie's going to over-index as well. So, um, we'll see what happens. Um, but I think that Equalizer 2 will stick around for a little bit. I think so, too. No. All right. Well, any final thoughts before we wrap this anatomy up and get to Mamma Mia? I, no. I mean, listen, I think Equalizer 2 is, is a decent sequel. Uh, you know, despite having some issues you know from storytelling i think it's a little more humanistic i don't think it's as violent as many of the critics have have, have lashed out against the violence of this movie there are some brutal scenes but i've seen worse this summer i've seen uh, way worse uh, this sicario was a very violent movie uh and i thought this was even less violent than than the first equalizer um but again denzel proves that he can command presence. Uh, he can continue to do the action, and you believe in everything that he's doing on screen. And you add the humanistic part to it. I think overall, it's it's a worthy sequel. Absolutely. I would be curious if they make a third. I would, you know, if 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 out of all the things that Denzel want, the, has done, this would be the one that continues on. It would be interesting, and I think I think it has merits to you know, if he's listen. <clears throat> I'm not saying I need it, but if he does it, I'd be curious to see it. I'm in, I'm in the same company with you. If, if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. But if he decides to, I'd say, okay, I'm fine with it. Absolutely. Good to go. 
All right, ladies and gentlemen, well, we've been talking about this movie quite a lot, uh, and we do that with a lot of movies, in fact. We've done it with over 400 in the archives. Uh, speaking of a Denzel movie, we've done Fences. We've done Fences. I could swear that we did the first Equalizer. Uh, I believe you guys did. I was not uh, yeah. a part of that. Uh, we did Magnificent Seven. We did. So, so lots of movies, and not just those movies. If you like action in particular, we've done a lot of action. If you like comedy, we we in fact tout comedies because they don't get the love we feel as much as they deserve and everything in between we've done musicals in fact we will be doing a musical for Mamma Mia right after this and of course in the coming weeks we've got Mission Impossible Fallout so lots to look forward to Um, so definitely continue if you haven't already done so subscribe now that way you get all the latest episodes and you don't have to update yourself and be like ooh what was that movie you get them all and comment Comment as well. Indeed. As far as Mission Impossible, I say fall in. Fall into your local theater. See it in as big a screen as possible. Absolutely. And also, uh, so one of the things I need to get better at is letting you know the movies that we will be doing. So Mission Impossible, Fallout next week. And also, we're looking to do Teen Titans Go to the Movies. So look out for that. In the meantime, at DMovies1701 is where you can interact with Dimitri thank more, you, Phil. more intimately, let's Please, say. Please, and thank you, audience, uh, for those who support me on Twitter. And also, uh, meet the movie press on Popcorn Talk yes, as well. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, they sent me to Comic-Con this pa- this weekend. And I was it's not happening. I came to find out. So I wasn't on. I wasn't on Meet the Movie Press today. But generally Bastards. he is. <laughs> generally he is. I'm at Phil Svitek and our other co-host at Serafini TV. She's normally here. Shout out to her. We'll see you guys next time. Bye. Bye all. From producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals.